There's something precious about Christmas sung through a child's heart, isn't there? What an amazing blessing that was. I thank our kids and all those who work with them, who love them week by week, uh, who are helping them grow into young men and women that sing those songs, not just with a full voice, but with a full heart. Uh, you could see the joy in their faces. They know the Christ child that they're singing about. Um, did I miss something or did we not do the offering? Did we do the offering this morning? We did? It never came by me. Wow, I was like, did that really happen? Uh, I, I was out late last night. That may be, I'm going to blame it on that. Um, my Regent Prep, our, where our boys play basketball, won a tournament last night in overtime by two points. So I, I say that partly as just a proud father who has a microphone, um, but also partly to explain why uh, I am so hoarse this morning. I feel it's my God-given role to exhort officials. Um, so it, in that regard, I'm coming in just a little hoarse after that game last night. It was, it was an exciting time. And Christmas is always an exciting time. It's interesting to me how many of the traditions that we have today, even subconsciously, you know, are, are sometimes still connected to the events of that first Christmas. Last week we talked about gift giving, really. And uh, that goes all the way back to the... These three guys, oh, we don't know if there are three. We know they brought three gifts, but we actually don't know how many they are. The scriptures don't say, but they brought gold and frankincense and myrrh and gave them to the king. I even heard that in the song a moment we, we, we sang ago, uh, uh, king and God and sacrifice. I had never noticed how cleverly that was written. That's what these gifts symbolized. Remember the, the gold for a king. The frankincense, the spice of priests that point us to God. And, and the myrrh, the, the burial spice, as if Jesus was one who was being recognized as one that was born to die as a sacrifice. So much in this story, so true, that it reverberates through the ages. I don't know of anything that's more attached to Christmas in my own personal memory than highways. Highways and holidays seem to go together for us still, don't they? Uh, and especially at Christmas. When I was a kid, that was often the case. We would, we would pack up and we would go to Mama and Papa's one time and to Grandmother and Granddad's the next Christmas. And I, I'm still shaped by those memories in those houses with extended family. Uh, holidays and highways have a way of going together. And ever since the, the wise men packed their bags and headed for Jerusalem, Christmas seems to launch us into journeys. And I, I want to talk about that this morning, that any of us as the wise of this world would, would be those who would join that journey. Matthew 2 tells the story of these guys. Matthew 2, starting in verse 1, we read, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, 
Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who was born, the king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east, and have come to worship him. Matthew loved the story of the Magi. In fact, if you look at his gospel, he gives more print to the story of the Magi than he does to his story of the very birth of Christ. The Magi are the story that are tied to that birth, but they come perhaps a year or more later. Christ is a child, an infant in a home, not a newborn in a stable by the time that they arrive. But if their star announced his arrival, then their journey has finally gotten them there. Matthew loved the story of the Magi. We love it too. There's something almost magical about the Magi. The way God uses even the stars of the heavens to point their way to Jerusalem. Stars and stables, they're all connected in God's mysterious hand here. And the nature of their journey is one of seekers. As that star mesmerized them years ago and launched them on a journey... Uh, We all in our own way are seekers. The Magi's story is our story. We're all sojourners. We're all travelers in this life. And to find Jesus, we all need direction. The good news is, God gives his direction. And the story of the wise Magi shows us how. How he did it for them is... Also, how he does it for us. And when Herod the king heard it, he was troubled and Jerusalem with him. And gathering together all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he began to inquire of them where the Christ was to be born. Interesting, isn't it? That that the star guided the wise man from Persia or wherever it was off in the east that they had seen that star all the way to Jerusalem, but it wasn't the star that helped them find Christ, not alone. The priest said, In Bethlehem of Judea, for it has been written by the prophet, And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah, for out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. And then Herod secretly called the Magi and ascertained from them the time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make careful search for the child. And when you have found him, report to me that I too may come and worship him. And having heard the king, they went their way. And lo, the star, which had been seen in the east, went on before them until it stood over where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And they came into the house, and they saw the child with Mary, his mother. And they fell down and worshipped him. And opening their treasures, they presented to him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, They departed for their own country by another way. 
the steps of the wise men. If their story is our story, then their steps may be our steps as well. The first step was that they, they saw a sign. Perhaps many people saw the sign. It seems to have already been discussed in Jerusalem. People knew what they were talking about. But they didn't respond in the same way the wise men did. The wise men saw a sign and they responded to it. Something had caught their attention and they investigated it. The scriptures tell us that God still uses his, uh, his natural world is kind of the first impression of who he is. The natural world. I just, I love these glass windows at the front of our church. Sometimes I'm up here in the evenings and uh, the sun starts to set. And from this vantage point, it is the most beautiful, large, colorful sunrise. It just fills those windows. And I see the fingerprint of God. I had, I had a pastor friend, Pastor Ezel. He's the pastor of the African-American church that we've been doing some unity services with. And I talked to, to Pastor Ezel. He's just gotten back from a cruise. It was his first cruise ever. And he said, you know, I was enjoying all the food and all the fun. And, and then I went up on the promenade deck that one night and I looked out over that huge horizon. And I thought, how could anybody... Not believe in a God looking at this. You know, I don't know what it is for you, but maybe God's nature has communicated to you the fact that there is an unseen hand. Uh, uh, what do they call it? A intelligent design in, in all of this that, that is hard. It takes more faith for me to believe that all that is just chance than it takes faith for me to believe that some incredible mind, some incredible heart, some incredible power has ordained it all. Paul even talks about the fact that God's just, his natural creation around us leaves us with no excuse other than to acknowledge that there, there, there must be a God. As if to say, if you just honestly reflect on the complexity and the beauty of the world around you, can you not see the fingerprint of God in it all? But some people don't, you know. Some people just see colors in the sky. Uh, some people just see a big wet ocean. Some people look at a mountain and just see it blocking out. What's on the other side? But, but some of us see God's signs and it creates in us a hunger to know more. A hunger to journey toward, towards God. And, and I think it even goes beyond that. I think beyond all of the natural beauty that surrounds us, I think for each of us, somewhere in our lives, we can probably look back, even if we're Christians now, before the day that we came to to say, we believe too. Before that day of our justification and our conversion and our hearts surrendering to God, long before we gave our hearts to God, God was giving his heart to us. Look back in your life and see if you don't see the breadcrumbs that led to the bread. Look back on your life and see if you, you don't see a, a grandmother here, a coach there, 
a relationship, an experience, a serendipity, somewhere along the way. I bet if you honestly look at your life, all along the way, you've had little notes from a secret admirer. And what wise people do when they recognize that that kind of providence, even if it's something that they don't fully comprehend, even if it's something that they can't fully believe, nevertheless, if you're a wise person and God comes seeking you, it's only wise to investigate who that might is. There's a knock at your door. Who is it that's knocking? Somebody's knocking. Should I let them in? Right? It's just the wisdom uh, 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 of God showing us his signs, of him giving us his promptings, e- even if it's just the natural world that's around us, God always seems to hang one of those secret admirer notes right where we're looking. The Magi are often thought to be astrologers. Isn't it just like God, not only to give scriptures to guide the Jews to where he was, but also to those who might not have known the scriptures? Then they may have. They may have been the Jewish descendants in Persia years later that had kind of mixed the astrology of Persia with the the scriptures of Judaism. But for some reason, they were looking up. And where they were looking, God placed a sign. And the first step in the wisdom of the Magi was just that they responded. They said, you know, when things in this life make you go, hmm? Why not check it out? Why not investigate the source of such serendipities in our life? They may be the very communications of God. So journey after them. They were responding to signs. And second of all, they studied the scriptures. It's interesting to me that that the star guided them as far as Jerusalem, but the star was not what guided them to Christ. They they, they took those first inclinations, those, those first directions, and they went as far as they would take them. And they seemed to take them to Jerusalem. And when they arrived in Jerusalem, it took something a little more than just those impressions and those, well, it could be trues or I wonder about it to the actual word of God. God's got a book out. Have you read it? Most of us who do find us not only reading the book, but that book reading us. It has a way of resonating with our souls that God has noticed, and he is speaking to us, his people, through it. It took the scriptures to help them find Jesus. The star led them to Jerusalem, but the word of God led them to Christ. And when the word led them to Christ, they wisely bowed their knee and worshipped him. The word led them to Jesus. You know, his word still does. Some people pick up this book and they read it just like uh, they would any book. It's just words on a page, information to be uh, taken in, mused at, maybe studied for principles of wise living. 
But the star and the prophecies all pointed us, not just, they pointed us to Jesus himself. And, 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 and what this story is, is the story of God reconciling himself to a world that has forgotten him. A world astray. He comes looking for us. Just like he did for Adam and Eve in the garden. That was his style then. And that is his style through history. He comes looking for us. He comes all the way from heaven to earth at Christmas. If you study the scriptures, Jesus said you study the scriptures, but you seem to overlook me and it's me to whom they point. The scriptures aren't the end of it. The scriptures are a way in which to enrich and point us to a life and a relationship with Jesus, God's self. God didn't come just to make us wise. He came to make us his own. He came to connect with us. He came to give us a relationship to himself through his son. And we know him through his son. Hebrews tells us that he is the exact representation of God's nature. You want to know God's heart? Look at Jesus' heart. As you read about all he is and all he was and all he did in scriptures. The scripture is not just an instruction book to make us righteous. It's a love letter that builds a relationship. His word still reveals this same Christ to our hearts. They responded to the signs, they studied the scriptures, and they worshipped the Son. They worshipped Him. They didn't just salute Him, they bowed their knees, they surrendered to Him. God, through Jesus, develops a very personal relationship with us. It's interesting to me that the, the wise men, after they had... After they had followed the star and followed the scriptures and been introduced to Jesus, after Jesus, they have a dream. They have a dream. Up until now, they've been following signs, but now they hear a very personal word from God. (laughs) Don't go back to Herod. Don't go back to Herod. Go home another way. When we walk in this relationship to Jesus, it gets more and more personal through the years. God starts speaking to us, not just as one who is a representative of the human family, just one in the crowd. No, he grows a relationship with us where he speaks to us personally. He speaks into our lives through his word, through others, sometimes even through dreams, through impressions that are so personal that we know God himself must be in it. The wise men didn't go home the way they had come. I don't know about you, but that's always the way I travel. I always return the way I came. It's the one way I'm sure of. But when God speaks to you, you can become sure of ways that you've never traveled before. He points us down vistas and paths and patterns of living that are even new to us, though they're known to him. And as we follow him, we become like his son. They were traveling home. And they went home a different way. Matthew's actual words for that is, they went home another way. They went home another way. And in Matthew, uh, he uses that word way 
to denote a different kind of direction in life often. Matthew is the one that talks to us about the narrow way as a different way of life. Matthew is the one that talks to us in chapter 21, 32 about uh, the way of righteousness. And even the way that Christians lived uh, was first talked about not as the church or not as Christianity even. They weren't called Christians to quite some time later. Do you know what that band of living different people were first called? The people of the way. They went home another way. You know, I've wondered if that could have two meanings because of the way Matthew uses it. If it doesn't just mean that they went home a different path. They went home differently. I wonder if it also means that after they encountered Christ, they went home different. Encountering a God that loves us like this, that whom while we were yet sinners would even die for us. There's something about knowing that you're loved that much that releases your heart to say, wow, if I'm loved like that, I need not live like this anymore. I think the Magi went home different. Not just differently. But it's interesting to me that throughout this whole story, these wise ones are those who knew to travel together. That was just the smart way to get places back in those days. There were no highway patrols out on the highway. There was no even, in many places, law. Uh, the, the land was, by and large part, just, just lawless. And one of the dangerous, most dangerous things you could do that day is travel from one place to another with anything on you that someone else might want. Well, these magi are coming from far, far away with gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Uh, Any highway robber would have seen that as Christmas, right? And so maybe it was just common sense that, that had them traveling together. But they were wise to do so. And those of us who have seen the signs and believed the scriptures and who worship the Son, we're all on a journey home now. And it's just wise if we travel together. It's safer. On the mornings that, that I might get up and have forgotten the way, I'll trust you to remember which way we were headed and where we saw the star last. And we'll travel farther. We'll sustain one another. As we travel together, we'll talk about our hopes and we'll be encouragers to one another. We'll sanctify each other. We'll be partners in this life together. We'll hold each other accountable. We're not going this alone. As Christians, we caravan. It's a great gift to be able to travel together. Now, it's true that some people in this story saw the same signs, read the same scriptures, but didn't take a journey at all. Some people, they notice no signs. As I said earlier, they look up at the stars and see only 
pinholes in a dark night. They look at the stars, but they can't see the star hanger, the star maker. The heavens declare the glory of God. But we don't have to pay it any attention. There were those who knew the scripture. After all, they went to the priests. The priests actually told the Magi what the prophets had foretold. It was known where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem of Judea, everything that unfolds here, God and his word had forecast, right? It had been foretold. And what was foretold, they now foretell to uh, the Magi, he, he shall be born in Bethlehem. But it's interesting to me that the, the Magi then take the short journey from Bethlehem, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, from, from Jerusalem uh, to Bethlehem. It, it's really about traveling from downtown Tulsa to Bixby. Can I put it in perspective for you? Not quite that far. And yet these priests downtown thought Bixby too far to travel. Now, as a resident of Bixby, I, I try not to take that personal. But, but I wonder how God took it. That here are these guys who know his word and even believe his word. If you were to ask them where the Messiah was to be born, they can tell you. They believe the word. But it doesn't move them. They believe the word, but it doesn't set them in motion. You follow me? And and we become unwise people even when we study the word, which is a good thing. But don't let it speak into our lives to shape us and to prompt us to the actions that it calls us to. Some people see the signs and they they blow them off. And, And most often you can God never comes on, usually, I've never known God, to come on in such such a strong way that he is completely undeniable. To do that would be to take your choice away about how you would respond to him. And that means you're not loving him, you're just fearing him. And he wants you to do more than fear him, he wants a relationship with you. Right? And so God always gives us the... uh, The wiggle room to decide if we're just going to stay where we are or if we're we're going to move on. The Christian life, folks, is a journey. And, and, you know, there's been times as uh, a person that's in my 50s now and uh, feels like I have a little more mileage than I have years. You know what I'm talking about? There's something of the inertia of life. That especially as we grow older, I think, wants us to find an oasis where we can just be still. You know? Uh, Now some of my favorite times in Christmas are not necessarily when the wrappings are flying and chaos is going on. Our kids have grown up and they're, they're not nearly as active as they were on those first Christmases, you know. But even now, my favorite times of Christmas are sometimes the quiet, still moments. And if I'm not careful, I I can let inertia set in. 
When the truth of the matter is that God calls me to journey towards him and to journey with him every day of my life, that means I never really stay still. As a Christian, I'm always a pilgrim. I'm always listening for his next word. I'm always listening for his next prompting. Whenever anything that has happened that I celebrate and I enjoy and I give glory to God, that doesn't mean that the story is near over. That God is always calling us to that next moment with him. It's not just about what we accomplish in life. It's about who we travel with. And Jesus said, my father works until now, and so I work. Because God works in this life, I want to be a part of what he's doing. That's the heart of those who follow him. But some notice no signs. Some hear no scripture. Some heed not the son. We we might worship him. But do we really live to please him? And there is a bit of a difference. And you can see it in people's lives, particularly when, when their lives seem to move with some kind of command and some kind of power that works against the circumstances around them. It's a sad day, but they still have joy. They're defeated, but they still hold their head high. What is working inside these people, and and it's this calling, this relationship with God, that even when we fail, we know we're not a failure because Christ, the risen Lord, has claimed us for his own. We shall overcome, right? But there's there's an identity with him that makes us resilient in this life and also gives us a way of living this life to please him rather than just to flow with whatever emotion and circumstance would imprison us to any particular moment. It gives us options to live that others don't have. They were minstrels. You know, back in the day when, when theater traveled from town to town in little bands and times were tough and people had started to not come to the shows In fact, the night before, they had only performed for two or three patrons. And so they were understandably understandably discouraged. One of them turned to the other and said, well, you know, it's, it's just not worth it. Why get all worked up and go up there and do all that again tonight when only a few people even care? And, you know, it doesn't take long for a spirit like that to gain some momentum, you know, especially when everyone else is discouraged and ripe. And, and, and so, you can imagine how the conversation went. It just went from bad to worse. Let's give it all up. Let's close the doors. But there was an old minstrel amongst them, and they said, no, no. We must take the stage. The show must go on, because we never know who it is for whom we might be performing that night. And our performance might make a real difference in their lives. And for even just one difference in one life, let us go and let us give our best. And so the minstrels, you know, kind of pulled themselves together. They put on their makeup and their costumes, and they performed for a crowd that night. And to add all to it, the weather was bad. It was snowing outside, and it was cold, and only a few people came that night. And after the performance, they were exhausted. They had poured themselves out, and to be 
to be truthful, they had given one of the best performances that they had ever given. And they were more discouraged that on that night that everything clicked. You know, if you're a performer, what that's like when everything just seems to be in sync and, and it went perfectly and it was powerful and it was poignant and everything was just right and only a couple people saw it. They were doubly discouraged until the old man who greeted those few that were there as they left came running down the center aisle of the theater with a paper in his hand. And he said, my merry minstrels, listen to this. And he opened up the letter and it was scribbled in handwriting. It was just a simple line. It said, tonight your performance was glorious. Thank you sincerely. Your king. Your king. Would it make a difference if you knew that every day you live to please one who gave his all to please you? That you get to live for someone who has given his life for you? That you get to be loyal in whatever way you can to the one who is loyal to you, even to the point of death and a cross? Do you know what it is to live every day for an audience of one? your king. If, if you know that joy, if you know that purpose that is never taken from you, if you know that cause for resilience that few others in this life share, then you know what it is to live for your king, to heed the son. There are those that see the signs and hear the scriptures and even maybe come to worship, but they settle for just more of the same. That's the priests. They were complacent. And perhaps it's the priest's mistake that those of us who have already received Christ and worship Christ are most in danger of falling into of being religious but not really living in relationship. Of falling into the right routine. But ignoring the grand adventure. Of of falling into that place of inertia and comfort. Rather than advancing the kingdom. They settle for simply more of the same. If we live with this Christ in our hearts then... We are those who are always journey people. And the journey's not over. The wise men took this step. They, they didn't travel alone. But sometimes we're tempted to be little Herods. Herod had no room in his life for God or for others. I think I said last week that it was said by Caesar the ruler of the whole realm at that time as he noticed how Herod lived and how he would assassinate even members of his own family if he thought they might have designs or talents or gifts and graces that might someday come to rival his place on his throne. He killed his own sons, killed members of his family, 
simply because of his jealousy and his white-knuckle grip on his place in the world. He traveled with no one. He had no room for anyone. But at the end of his life, tragically, his last decree as king over the land was that many of the most popular and powerful people of Jerusalem, and he named them by name, were to be slain on the day that he died so that Judah would not erupt in celebration but would mourn the day of his passing. Is that not sick and sad? Satan isolates us before he assassinates us. So many times I see people falling faster and faster into trouble and one of their first steps in that direction is simply to say, you know, I don't don't need to walk with anybody else. I've, I've got this handled. I can handle it. Church is a lot of wasted time. Those people take so much time. I want my time back. But Satan almost always isolates before he assassinates. But it need not be that way for us. When God sends us signs, even if you're not real sure yet about this faith or your commitment to it, to, to it, if God sends you a sign, would you do God the favor of just responding to what could be the note of a secret admirer? Would you investigate it? Would you let that sign take you in the direction of discovering what it means? And if you feel God might be calling you, and if you, you have any sense, any hunger in yourself at all about God, about understanding that, about having a relationship with Him, about this life being about things that are of a much deeper purpose, with a much deeper joy, if, if, if there's any hunger in you for that, if that raises some kind of curiosity for you, the Scriptures say that even that curiosity in your heart is something that is God's work. Jesus said, no one comes to the Father unless he who sent me draws them. If you noticed any kind of drawing in your years towards something more, pay attention. Start your journey. Take your steps investigate what might be true. And I'd be willing to bet that those stars will start to lead you towards a path of truth. I trust that those stars will lead you to the Scripture. And as you read the Scripture, I wonder if you won't notice the handwriting looks familiar. (laughs) The message... Of the note. Matches the one who's already been sending you signals. God so loves you. That if you start down this path. I trust he will reveal himself to you. Seek the scriptures. As you read the scriptures. 
as they point you towards Christ, I hope you come to that day that you surrender to him and continue to surrender him the rest of your days. That you let him be the caravan leader for you and that you don't follow that path alone, but that you walk it with others who would walk it with you. I wonder what your next step is in that progression. Are you following a star? Is it time to seek the scriptures? And seeking the scriptures, is it time for a real living relationship with God through Jesus? Are you following Jesus, but maybe you've become complacent? And you realize this morning God is still calling you to a journey where you serve him as your king. Where you walk with others that are a part of his family. Yours may be steps towards Christ or steps with Christ or steps with a community of believers who would walk with you. But I pray this morning that a, a light shines in the darkness. That God has his breakthrough moment. That, that you start to realize what he may have been trying to communicate to you all along. That's what Christmas is about. It's about God breaking into this world to make sure we did not miss his message. For years, hundreds of years, he had been patient with us, trying to speak to us through the prophets. But now in these last days, through his own son, he has shown us himself. No one has seen the Father, but Jesus Christ, full of grace, has shown us the Father. Could Christ be about to break through? Could some of those clues start to lead you in a common direction? Are you ready for Christmas? I told the story of Annie Sullivan and Helen Keller a little earlier, but the story goes on. The parents of Helen Keller invited little Annie and Sullivan to come and to be her teacher. And some of you may have seen the TV drama of Ann Sullivan and how she taught Helen Keller. Anyone, any of you seen that one? Do you know, you know the scene where for days now you, you, you put a, a little girl that can neither see nor speak uh, nor hear uh, with a will of iron with Ann Sullivan, who believes that no person is ever a lost cause. You put those two kinds of wills up against each other, and you're going to have a war, right? Neither one of them will back down. Uh, and, and for the longest time, you wonder, why isn't Ann giving up? Her husband told her to give up. But now you know why she didn't. Because that light came searching for her and found her, right? And because that light went so far to find her, there was no distance that she would not travel to find another, and she would not give up on Helen Keller. Do you remember that scene where, where they're out in the yard, and all day long, each day, she's signing on Helen, uh, Helen's hand, the signs, spelling things, and Helen has nothing to do with it. It's all gibberish. It's all irrelevant. It's all, what is that scratching of my hand? It's just irritating, and she's tired of it, and she's, she's, she's tired of being forced to listen. And then there's that day where they sit down by the pump, remember? And she's drawing water, and, and she puts Helen's hand, I think it was, into the water, and, and her hand gets wet, and quite routinely, but still persistently, W-A-T-E-R, 
And she puts her hand under the water again. W-A-T-E-R. And she pulls her hands back. She pulls her hands over. W-A-T-E-R. Shink, shink, shink. And the war begins, right? Helen wants nothing to do with it. And Annie will not stop her pursuit, right? And then you see it. The light dawns. Christmas comes. Helen all of a sudden stops. And she runs back, finds her teacher. W-A-T-E-R. And Annie grabs her hands and she puts them to her face. And she goes, yes, yes, yes. W-A-T-E-R. And from that moment, a journey begins all around the yard. Do you remember it? What's this? What's this? G-R-A-S-S. G-R-A-S-S. Grass, grass, grass. And he took her over to the porch. What's this? What's this? P-O-R-C-H. P-O-R-C-H. The whole world opened up. Because now, Helen Keller was seeing the world through Annie's eyes. Do you recognize who all the Secret admirer notes are from. They're from the one that created you. The one who will not relent until you find him and he finds you. The one who even makes that not the end of the journey. But the beginning to discover his whole world of possibilities. What's your next step? Christmas calls you as much as it did the wise man to take a step. Would you take that step this morning? Identify it. And don't deny it. Be a journey people with us. And if you need a partner in that journey... We're all going towards the same home. We'd love to walk with you. If you'd receive Christ. If you'd receive our fellowship and become a part of our church. Know that either of those two options are open to you this morning at the altar. And all it takes to receive them. Is a short journey. Not even from Jerusalem to Bethlehem. But from your seat. To where God meets you. Would you pray with us? Lord God, I thank you this morning for the truth of Christmas. And for the truth of Christ. That's right in the center of it. Lord God, you call us to be people on a journey. And we pray this morning that the next step you've made clear. That's all the light we ask for now. Help us to take it. Help us to be wise as the Magi and not just settle for the same old, same old. But to take the next step with you. We stand, Lord God, to worship you because it's just one more step closer to that next step as we stand. We worship you in Jesus' name.